This podcast is proudly supported by Red Energy, awarded CanStar's most trusted energy providers nationally 2021 and 22. That's Red Energy. And Prince Wine Store, bringing wine enthusiasts the greatest wine in the world. Visit princewinestore.com.au. Every game was a soap opera, Carol, and as we always say, footy always just throws up yet another interesting angle and backstories that we've never imagined or envisaged. So it's going to be really interesting, but the players have super delivered. All I can see is somebody who has narcissistic tendencies, who must be so hurt and so full of revenge that she wants to keep damaging Harry's family in this way. You do have to check the use-by dates of your spices. I do, I agree with that. Then I go, oh, gee, that was 1998 or something. 1998? Well, and you think I have a problem with weevils? But when I clicked, all these other cars started <laughs> lighting up as well. I thought it can't be unlocking all these other cars. If you've arrived back from the football and you've found that your laptop has gone from your unlock car. That was me. Was car thief. Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast with Caroline Wilson and Corey Perkin. Welcome again to episode 234 of Don't Shoot the Messenger. I'm Caroline Wilson. I'm here with my great friend and the founder of the forthcoming Sorrento Writers Festival, Corrie Perkin. Hello, Corrie. That is a title I can't get used to. Um, Your new moniker. I know, it is. It's very, very exciting, Caro. Hello, everybody. And thank you to everybody who's jumping on the... Uh, Sorrento Writers Festival Instagram account. We're not doing a lot of posting at the moment, but I'm glad you're there. Good to have everybody on board. Caro, lots of uh, uh, bouquets last week for our rundown of books and our literary discussion. Um, people really, um, I, I, I received a lot of personal texts from pe- people saying, oh, can't wait. Oh my God, a new Ian McEwan, all of that kind of thing. A lot of excitement about the books. There is. And Shauna O'Sullivan, thank you for the tip um, regarding Fiona Brockhoff's With Nature. What a beautiful book. She recommends Peter Shaw's, that's S-H-A-W, Peter Shaw's Connecting with Landscape. It makes her want to move from Sydney to the Great Ocean Road. I'm happy to say Miss Jane is back with us. Her jury duty, jury duty, Miss Jane, what happened? You're here with your tail between your legs. It lasted an hour. I had fantasies of becoming a true crime podcaster after six weeks (laughs) on a murder trial and, you know, getting to know barristers and solicitors and think the rumour was someone pled guilty and we all got sent home after an hour. An hour? Did you oh, get paid for that? it's worth frocking up. I think we got paid, but yes. So you get one day or something. I think so. Oh, oh yeah, Jane. and so they should because you've gone to all that effort. Well, it's oh, lovely. Bad luck, to, Janie. Well, you, their, their losses are gained. We're happy to have you back. Melissa Harris sent us a gorgeous picture of Corrie's pear cake that she made from a few weeks ago saying, Sunday night dessert in our house. Thanks, girls. Corrie, there's so much to talk about. I am keen to have a chat about the new incarnation of the Duke and Duchess of Windsor, a.k.a. Oh, and I'm keen, although Meghan we probably Harry. don't have time to talk about the fact that Liz Truss is now the, uh, as of this, at this morning when we podcast on Tuesday, is now the Prime Minister of England, the woman who, former Tory MP journalist Matthew Parris said, Liz Truss is a planet-sized mass of overconfidence and ambition teetering upon a pinhead of a political brain. It must all come crashing down. Yep. Well, what's yeah, it fills it, us with confidence. So, Britain's third woman prime minister, and someone who's come in with a majority of less than sixty percent mm-hmm. voting her in. So, look, we'll see. We'll see. I mean, she she made a nice maiden speech. We'll see what happens next. Corrie, let's just bring the action back to Melbourne, where we have had an extraordinary weekend of football, and football has led to people coming back into the CBD. It has led to people hitting the city again. And, you know, as I said, I noticed a lot of people, even though people say the city's dead, I'm not seeing it. I noticed the government is now urging people to go back to work and come back into their offices. And, you know, that that's not all CBD, but partly... I was at both games of footy on Friday and Saturday. The noise, even the Friday night game, which didn't have, you know, it, was, it had 78,000, which was pretty big for Melbourne versus Sydney, a tale of two cities. It was a tale of two games from the Thursday night game, which was a shootout up at the Gabba, which sadly for the Tigers ended in despair, underperforming Tigers this year. But Sydney was extraordinary, and they host their first preliminary final at the SCG since um, Tony Lockett kicked that unbelievable point after the siren against Essendon back in 1996, the year that Mike Clementine was born. 
You would have to say that the weekend weekend final series was one of the best finals weekends we've had. I can't even remember a time. I know there was there was some great Hawthorne knife edge, Hawthorne Geelong, that kind of period, late eighties, early nineties. But I can't remember a, a weekend of just four extraordinary games. And nineteen ninety four, there was a draw. There was an unbelievable um, comeback. There was North Melbourne versus Geelong, you might remember. Gary Ablett versus oh, Wayne, Wayne Carey. Carey. Where, yeah, oh, I do. Wayne yeah. Carey, from, sort of not having the best week at the moment, where Wayne Carey, um, I think, gold after the siren and, and, and North Melbourne won. But, you know, since 1994, and Jake Nile reminded us of that amazing round on our Age podcast the other day, but it yeah, was, it was every it, game had a... Was a soap opera. Oh, it was um, it, well, every game was a soap opera, Carol. And as we always say, footy always just throws up yet another interesting angle and 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 backstories that we've never imagined or envisaged. And certainly, there were um, some great hero stories and some um, rather concerning injuries as well. But this time last week, we were talking about, oh, what game would you are you most looking forward to? And I and I was not disappointed by the Collingwood Geelong game. I have to say, when well, I tipped that a, as being it was a, a game, classic. That I really thought. But to start classic. off on Thursday night with your Tigers, um, just, I mean, I was willing them over the line. You just you didn't feel that they had the magic. They weren't the side that they've been um, over the past four or five years, but. There were still some great moments, and I, I just found myself willing them, like, come on. And I, I do, I'm, I have huge respect for Brisbane Lions, but it does come down to when it's a gut feeling and it's not your team. And the gut often goes parochially for me. So it sets up Brisbane versus Melbourne, which had that famous sledging controversy a few weeks ago when they last played, when Dane Zorko, the Brisbane captain, said something horrible to Harrison Petty about his mother made him cry. We find out later that some disgusting things were also said to Dane Zorko. Dane Zorko, not particularly popular, but lifted his game against the Tigers. Um, these games were played out and, you know, there was Gary Rowan for Geelong. Oh, who, Gary Rowan, who who's not known as a big occasion player. What a sensational match he had the other night. And interestingly, the coaches gave him nine out of ten possible votes. Jeremy Cameron, who I thought was... I thought he was best on ground. There were so many great players. So that was a big and, even, and even the old war horse, Joel Selwood. How much respect does everybody to all of his teammates and, and opposition players? At the end of the game, he's just sort of swamped by everybody. What a great game. What a captain's lead he plays every time. He does divide the footy community, um, even in our house. But he really, Oh, does he really? He really stood up on Saturday night. Interestingly, this has all happened against the backdrop of the AFL seemingly at the pointy end of a new media rights deal that they've already signed up, you know, Seven and Fox Footy came to the party for another, for an extended situation during COVID. So we're currently in a deal that lasts until the end of 2024. This new deal, I think, will be six or seven years. Channel Nine have come in with a massive bid late. I mean, they've, they've been presenting for a while and they're very serious. There's 10 and Paramount, there's Nine and Stan and there's Seven, who has not got a pay TV partner, but is in partnership, really. They've come to an agreement over streaming with Fox Footy. This couldn't have been time better for Gillan McLaughlin, who is staying on to get this deal done, to try and introduce a 19th licence to Tasmania and get a stadium organised down there. I think he'll do it all. I think it'll all happen in the next few weeks, and I think it's going to be extraordinary. But he even... He was a bit loose on Friday night. In, I tell you what, they were back in town, Corrie, the AFL function... Mark Seymour performed up on the stage, Throw Your Arms Around Me and Holy Grail. Um, there was a, there was an oyster and prawn bar. There was Moe served all night. It was well, every, they've had two years to think about how they're going to come back. Everyone, <laughs> I mean, the MCC might have had the tartan rugs down the road and they have incredible functions as well. But Gillen made a – and Jackie Felgate hosted. She was great. The next night they had Roaming Brian – but Gillen's speech on Friday night, he went over to Perth the next day, probably partly to talk to Kerry Stokes and tell him to lift his bid from Channel 7. But um, he made a few jokes that I don't reckon he would have made had he not been on the, you know, heading out the door. And he even looked at um, Patrick Delaney, head of Fox Footy, and said, come on, Patrick, you couldn't. Surely you don't want to leave this. Up talking about the game the previous night and Carlton Collingwood. So it's going to be really interesting. But the players have super delivered. Super delivered. It just, and it the just coaches. reminds me, Gillan McLaughlin and the TV rights, it, it, it 
it feels to me like when you are thinking about, this has only happened to me once in my lifetime of selling many houses, but when you're thinking about, oh, we might do a spring, we might do a spring sale. So you start getting the house ready and you register it and you work out who's the agent and you put in the date and then all of a sudden price, price, housing prices go up and up and up and you're going, ha, ha, That's exactly <laughs> right. Well, it's it's, it's delivered. all stacking my way. And they're patting themselves on the back because Steve Hocking, of course, um, came, went to the AFL, changed a few rules. It was There was a lot of different moving parts to the rule changes, which he sort of explained on Saturday night at the next AFL function I was at. And he... The, um, he was interviewed actually by Kylie Rogers, probably the AFL's most senior executive, commercial boss, formerly of Mamma Mia. And she said the elephant in the room is, of course, you came to the AFL, changed the rules, went back to Geelong and they won the minor premiership. <laughs> well, you know, well done. And he said, oh, I never intended to go back, never intended to leave. But um, I think they're all very proud of the rule changes. They're taking full credit for them. They're backing away a bit from the goal review decision that was probably the right decision but reached in entirely the wrong way on Thursday night um, after the Tom Lynch goal that was called a goal and just deemed a point. But um, they, they do deserve some credit because the footy was brilliant. Now, Corrie, how, how were you on, on Thursday night? Where were you watching it and how were you feeling when the Tom Lynch goal and that last that last couple of minutes, I watched the it Joe with, Danaher goal? I watched oh. it with Mum, Jewel, and my sister Moggs, who was down from Sydney, and we were a bit flat. It oh. must be said. But you must have been shouting at the television. Oh, yeah. I was just pessimistic all game. And, Were you? And, you know. You didn't feel they had their magic either. Oh, no. I'd, 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 I've, Dustin Martin sort of was clearly underdone. Mm. And really, and Anna from the op shop would say disrupted our forward line, really, which had been working pretty well. Um, and it was just the story of the year. Richmond has lost every close game, almost bar one against Brisbane they've played. And they've, you, they're just too easy to score against. Now, I've got to ask you about, we've got to get on to Megan and Harry. Have you read Megan Markle's interview with the, in the cut? I sure have. Gee, it went down like a lead balloon, didn't it? Particularly with yeah. the Brits. Yeah, well, I think it's been exacerbated, Cara, by the fact that Harry and Megan are in the UK this week for a few days. They're doing some, some of their charity work, including uh, an Invictus Games event that Harry, a, a really wonderful cause, Close to his heart. That's in the Netherlands, isn't it? They spoke yeah. in Manchester last night, I think. They spoke in Manchester last night. I haven't seen the paparazzi shots. But, uh, look, I, I have to say I feel um, I feel like I have been cheated upon here. I still have enormous um, sympathy and I care about Harry. I, as I said, and I keep saying on this podcast, I think he is deeply damaged and I think he's probably going through when he married Megan and she became the the target of so much vitriol and um, and nasty press coverage and also social, the people. I don't Britain think she did when they got married. Oh, I think no, people... after, afterwards, it, it, the pile-on ha- started happening pretty quickly. You know, around the time of the wedding, you know, Kate was in tears when we later found out what that was but all that about. But that was and... what, it didn't, I don't think it happened until after they had their, oh, their I felt, first I, child. I, I felt it turned after that wedding. After that wedding, it just... It, it oh, I disagree. Just... I think it was so, after Archie was born. Yeah, I, well, I... I don't know about that. I no, just, I just think, and I think the awesome, foursome thing started to to fall apart after the wedding because clearly Kate and and um, Megan had had the flower girl issue, whatever that was all about. But that only came out. That, that only came, came out, out so later, but later. it happened at the time. It happened. Yeah, but I, it happened at the wedding. People, the public never really. I felt the no, public. No, the public. The public. I, I think the public was was starting to to really, you know, question what was their role. There was, Harry. Well, there was. Like such a contrasting pair, two pairs, aren't they? Really, there were there were Kate and William doing all the right things and all the proper things, and Megan and Harry were just. Um, I just think that there was a cynicism that the public started to think, "Oh God!" I mean, you've even said this on your podcast yourself. Was this the old Duke and Duchess of Windsor from the fifties? I only and 60s said all that. Over I again? only said that when they moved to America. Okay, I certainly didn't say it before then. I mean, when when they left the royal duties and said we don't want to be royals anymore but still wanted the security detail we're still the trading the rumors came out of the rumors came out of the palace pretty quickly after the wedding that there'd been all this brouhaha particularly with Kate and by that stage Kate and William had definitely put themselves in a in a kind of the bambi category you can't say anything bad about them which is still going on which is interesting and that just the tide i just felt the tide just started to turn that's my impression of it anyway and 
and I still backed them. You know, I still backed them. I could understand why they made the decision to go to the to the US, back to her homeland. They were stuck there. Circumstances of COVID and lockdown kind of got in their way, whatever their ambitions or intentions were about coming back to the UK. Um, they had to draw, drop the Royal Sussex, Sussex Royal uh branding on their Instagram account, which had a few million followers, 20 million followers, I think. And and it just was it going to be a happy ending. Look, you hoped so, but you also hoped that when Charles became king, that he would embrace them back into the family. And then she did that absolutely pathetic interview with, with Oprah Winfrey, which just stood interesting, like we all glued in. But I but, was very critical of of the time. Yeah. You just, have been very – you've stuck up for Megan I totally for a long have. Time. I, but, but this is why I'm saying – I like, thought it was I'm, tosh. This is why I'm sort of saying not me a culpa, but I'm, I've, I've shifted. I, I just – I just can't understand why she did this interview with the cut. I just, all I can see is somebody who has narcissistic tendencies, who is really, who must be so hurt and so full of revenge that she wants to keep damaging Harry's family in this way. And also has this kind of, um, just this weird view of herself, of her own importance who does the she Nelson think she Man- is? The Nelson Mandela comparison where she said she met a member of the cast of The Lion King in South Africa and they said there hadn't been a reception. They'd never seen screaming in the streets since Nelson Mandela was released from prison. And I then mean, did you see they asked the one South African yeah, cast member and he said, I it. actually don't remember having that conversation. Also, she was proved to just be a bit wacky. I'm not saying she's a liar. But but I think what offended me most about the cut interview, Cara, was the way she tried to manipulate the journalist. And and played the game. And the journalists wrote it like that. To their credit, they wrote it like that. And and the looks that she would give and the turning on for the camera and using those, that the artistry of the actress. Um, the is, black turtleneck. Oh, suggesting that the journalist write how, it, interpret the sound, how to say the sound that she was making. It was really, really weird. And I agreed with one um, one, I mean, you can imagine the UK media has just gone nuts over that particular interview. Tanya Gold, um, a UK journal for whom I have a high regard, she said she doesn't feel necessarily concerned or worried about Meghan or Harry. Whatever they do, it's their own thing. But she feels deeply concerned about the, the charities and the causes they, they represent because there, there, there must be some kind of um, brand damage here. It's a it's a really fine line, you know. If you've got Meghan and Harry on your side, is this a good thing or a bad thing? I think people would be wondering that now. The similarities to the Duke and Duchess of Windsor are extraordinary. The the, the, the business attempts to make money, the striving for relevance, coming back to the country, being snubbed. None of they're not seeing William. Obviously, they're not seeing the Queen. They're not seeing Prince Charles, which is extraordinary to I show think it's how just tragic, the, isn't it? William, you know, really. I mean, the Duke of Windsor never wrote a memoir, but this William memoir that's been put off again. Harry memoir. Sorry, Harry memoir. It, you know, but, and it's but, been put off, I think, because well, somebody cynically suggested because Michelle Obama's new book is coming out later this year and nobody should get in the way of Michelle Obama. Oh, I, I think it's also because they think they're worried that the Queen is dying. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why we haven't had the next series of The Crown. And I, I hope that's not true, but, you know, he's, he's getting old and he's cancelling more and more appearances. And obviously he's very, very close to the end. And I, it would be an appalling thing to do, I think, to put it out before then. And look, the, the other thing I would say is, and, and I refer back to the Palace Papers, which I raved about earlier on this year by Tina Brown. And, you know, he he picks up where the death of Diana left off and how they said never again, we'll never allow this to happen. Well, of course, it has happened again. And the brilliance of the Tina Brown book, and he focuses on the Queen Mother, Camilla, Kate and Meghan, and a lot on Charles and Philip, very generous about Philip, I must say, and about what he saw as a real love story between the Queen and Prince Philip. But he, and he sets up Harry, and you're right, about the damage he suffered as a youngster really, really well, like not being able to serve properly when he wanted to be um, an army and military man, um, the press destroying his relationship with his previous partner Chelsea. It's a um, shocking gig. The second, the two, you know, the two I see. Yes. It's an absolutely shocking gig because you're a royal for all intents and purposes, and yet you're trying to find your own identity. How, well, how does this set it up for Charlotte and Louis? I mean, surely Kate and William have got to be learning from this experience. There's got to be a different way to do royals, and I think also. Well, she makes a good point that Kate has worked so well. 
because he came, he didn't come from Diana's background. And there's a lot of reasons why she has been absolutely brilliant in the role. Like, you know, when it started, will she ever fit in? Now they're saying, what would they have done without her? And um, it, it, the, the story, the chronicle of the making of Kate by Tina Brown is brilliant. You know, no one is perfect in Tina Brown's eyes, but she, she very nuanced about the good and the bad. But you remember, though, that she's the pretty British... cruel about me. She's not a, she's not a Megan fan, I can assure you. But you and remember, the British press were quite fierce about Kate when she first came on the scene. Waiting, Katie. She, yeah, and and they thought she was very provincial, and so they've never they've never really given women who have come into the House of Windsor a pretty through marriage a pretty easy time. I have to say, the she, British media. She's, she certainly but, won them over but now. I, I just I had such high hopes for Megan and Harry. I really thought that if if, if the four of them could kind of work as a foursome. Uh, how naive am I? Because, of course, it's all about succession, eldest child. But I just thought that she brought something fresh and alive. She brought colour, literally colour, into the royal family and she brought, um, you know, a new way of thinking. And she's just um, she's just blowing up before our very eyes. Well, the most, so it's the an most explosive story. accusation, which came in that Oprah interview about, um, you know, what colour would the child be? You know, everyone... Uh, and I, I didn't like it at the time. I thought it was just a horrible thing to allege about your family, if in any way it was nuanced. And or, n- now that I'm a grandmother myself, that's what you say when your daughter or son is pregnant, particularly if their partner is of different colour, whether he's got dark hair or red hair or blonde hair or whether he's Asian or South Latin American or black or Indigenous, or if he's a First Nations person. I mean, we, we say that to each other, don't we? I wonder if they're going to have, you know, yeah. Oscar's hair or Rose's hair. Mm. You know, it, I, I just refuse to necessarily, I mean, maybe it was racist, but I, I think that was a showed the early parts of the paranoia setting. Total in. paranoia. And, and also the whole, you know, Kate made me cry. You know, what goes on on tour stays on tour. You don't start revealing. You're completely throwing Kate under the bus with that one. Anyway, look, Megan, I'm cross with you, Harry. I still support you and I can't wait to see how the next week unfolds and whether they'll be going to see Her Majesty or whether they'll actually be having afternoon tea with Charles and Camilla. Who knows? Man up, Harry. And um, if I'm not allowed to say that these days. Well, okay, Megan, she should woman up. <laughs> now, if I was a Queen Mother, the late great Queen Mother, who she comes across as a very naughty aging dowager in the Tina Brown book, I would be heading to the cocktail cabinet for a gin and tonic. <laughs> Now, as we said earlier in the show, Corrie, we are having a special event at Prince Wine Store. Our events have been such a great success mm. this year that we're having another one. And, Miles, you were a big hit. <laughs> you were a very big hit at Bell's Hotel. Oh, good. So we're um, bringing Mohammed to the mountain, although the other way around, isn't it? It's the mountain the to Mohammed. On October 26, we are having a special event, Corrie, at Prince Wine Store. Miles, we're going to get our favourite podcast of all or least favourite, any of our podcast friends, we're inviting them to Prince Wine Store in South Melbourne on October the 26th and we are going to have a wine tasting. We're going to be there from five. You are going to give us your summer tips and you're going to open a few wines as well. Can't wait, Miles. Can't not open wine. And and, um, and as a special podcast present, not only will you get 10% off, which is what you do when you buy the wines Miles is about to tell us about today, but we're offering 15% yeah, we'll do off. 15 on the 9th. That's so you can come in and stock up. I've already. <laughs> stock up for the spring racing carnival, stock up for the cup weekend, stock up for Christmas. So, Miles, welcome to the cocktail cabinet for Prince Wine Store. And Good to be even, back. even it's great to be back. And even though it's spring, um, I thought it's, August, it's freezing. It's bloody I freezing. August was so, the coldest. Feels like September's the cold. I ride into work most days too, so I feel it. Well, they always say in Melbourne <laughs> that August is the coldest month, but this has been a particularly Ooh. cold start to cold spring. Start. It has. Yeah. And before, before, mm. so we're going to talk a couple of nice, a few nice reds today. But we need to congratulate Sharon Green. She is the winner of our introduction to wine appreciation for two. 
course at Prince Wine Store. Sharon's most memorable wine experience was a tour, tour of Mount Massenden wine region. It was a gift from her husband. She couldn't have imagined a better way to spend the day. The whole day was seamless. She had an amazing experience. She would not hesitate to visit again in future or recommend to anyone looking for a well-paced, enjoyable day filled with great wine. Now, please send us in your memorable wine experiences and you too could win an Introduction to Wine Appreciation course at Prince Wine Store. Enter via the link in the show notes. Miles, we don't necessarily have to go to Mount Massenden, (laughs) but there's some nice reds you can tell us about today. Yeah, there is. We were going to do some, I thought we would do some whites and reds, but I think it's too cold for that. So we'll just do a couple of reds instead. I'm very happy with that. The fire, we're still lighting the fire. I don't know about you guys, but oh, we've still got the fire on for If I had war. a fire, I'd, I'd light it in the house for sure. Actually, I've got I've got fireplaces in my room, but I think they still work. I'll oh, give it a go. You'd be a mate. Yeah. And chimney sweeps are not that expensive right. either. Okay. Get, maybe get the sweep in first. Yeah, I was going to say, I before think who you knows light the fire. what was going on before we moved in. <laughs> um, right, some wines for today. So first I'm going to start off with the, the Ravensworth Long Way Round Tinto. So this is a, a blend. It's a Grenache-based blend. It's uh, sort of out of Canberra. So Ravensworth, uh, Canberra-based winery. And this is sort of when they had all the fires and bits up there. So a bit of a struggle to get grapes. So this has got, I think, Grenache from the Swan Valley. It's got, uh, what else has it got? It's got some um, bit of Monastrell from Riccaterra in the Riverland. It's got some Tempranillo and Graciano from Hilltops, which is also in Canberra, sub-region there. So it's a bit of a sort of, you know, that's the long way round. It's kind of, you know, come come long way round. But it's this beautiful, mid-weight, juicy, soft. So Grenache is always quite, you know, low tannin, so it hasn't got that sort of grip. But lovely, soft, juicy, very plush sort of style red. We'd had it earlier in the year and thought it was good, and we sort of tried it again recently and thought it was fantastic, which happens with wines. It's sort of settled in, in such a short space of time. Yeah, maybe well, maybe like yeah, maybe like five five months. It feels like it's just settled in. And anyway, when we had it last time, we were just like, "This is fantastic!" One of these beautiful midweight reds that it's just you know straddles the seasons really well. You can open it when it's a bit cool. You could definitely have it, you know, still on a on a on a warm day if you want a red. Such a beautiful wine, a little bit spicy, nice and fresh, very plush. Yep. Ravensworth Tinto. What will that set us back, So that is 32 a bottle. Brilliant. So really awesome for what it is. Actually, I think we're going to pour it at the wine store, at the Bellotta, so you might see it on the wine list there at some point too. But anyway, it's in the spring pack as well. Oh, okay. The the spring mix doesn't? Yep. And what else can you tell us about? Uh, And I thought the other one that I might do, and I know I've talked about Debordely a few times, but... They just produce some of the most awesome sort of best value wines. Um, and they're Tempranillo Tariga 2020. So this is so Tempranillo, Spanish varietal. Tariga is uh, one of the main varietals you see in Portugal. And Tariga has this lovely sort of blue fruits and sort of blueberry kind of blue fruit spice, this really cool edge to it. So that and that sort of red fruit spice sort of crunchy Tempranillo. They just go really, really well together. Such an interesting blend. And they've got this really lovely, really quite, I don't want to say intense, but a very noticeable sort of sweet spice element to that kind of like baking spice. Um, Again, sort of medium style, lovely, juicy, soft, a little bit of like a little bit of an acid sort of crunch, which keeps it nice and fresh. And this one, you know, one gold medal at Alt Wine Show, gold medal at Sydney Wine Show. It's a, you know... Pretty stellar wine, and it's twenty twenty two dollars a bottle. So it's... when you say Portuguese, I, my mind immediately goes to the old Matus Rosé. <laughs> oh yeah, sorry, I just gets a lot I of airtime. The Matus Rosé. I used to quite like the Matus Rosé. <laughs> it was a long time Lordy. ago. Is the it, Matus does it Factory. Still ex- does it still exist? I'm pretty sure it does. Yes. Mm, the Dubertol de Bortoli. Yep. Tempranillo Tariga. Yeah. Twenty two dollars, and you get a ten percent discount. Yeah. Oh, it's I'm such a, a good wine. I'm a big fan of Debortoli. Yeah, they just make... I think you're right. But great for the price. So Steve Steve Webber's the head winemaker there, and he loves Italian and Spanish varietals. So he, he makes actually a lot of them. They have a few little sub-brands. You might not know what Debortoli, but... So he, he really likes to make that sort of stuff. And Sarah, who's his... Uh, I think she's the assistant winemaker. She's fantastic too. So awesome team. They make stellar wine. So could always highly recommend them in general as Sounds well. great. Miles, that's wonderful. Now, remember, if you want to meet Miles, well, you can meet him anytime if you go into Prince Wine <laughs> Store. That's true. But you can meet him on October 26th. Corrie and I will be there hosting a function. It's basically a bit of a wine tasting 
Come and buy your and spring wine. And a welcome to spring summer, summer wine. wine. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We'll give more details about that event, 5 p.m. Prince Wine Store on October the 26th. But for now, we'll um, enjoy those lovely reds and we'll Please see you do. next week. Wonderful. See you then. Thanks, Miles. And if you want to buy any of the wines Miles has recommended, this week's the Ravensworth Tinto or the De Bortoli Tempranilla Tariga, go to www.princewinesaw.com.au. .com.au and remember the promo code is M-E-S-S Carol, it's time for Book, Screen and Food brought to us each week by Red Energy and you have a book. I can't wait to hear about this book because I've seen it in it's, it's, it was very prominent in all the bookshops leading up to Father's Day for the obvious reason. It's written by an old friend of our family, Anson Cameron um, an acclaimed author and columnist. Good friend of your Brother Will, isn't he? Yep, that's it. And um, he has written his first sporting memoir with Neil Baum. It's called The Neil Baum Memoir, A Tale of Two Men. Um, Anson first told me about this early last year, actually, that he was doing a book with Neil Baum. It has a full disclosure. I haven't finished it, but I wanted to talk about it because it's footy season for a few more weeks and it is jumping off the shelves. Can I just ask, who's the two men? Neil Baum, the footballer who performed an unspeakable act in the 1973 grand final, to Neil Baum, the thinking man's football sage. Um, Tale of two men. Well, and and he really, um, I mean, Neil Baum, I I would, yeah, I'd say he's a friend. He's a great friend of my father's. He's always been very good to me. You would know him well from your time covering footy. He's been an AFL coach. He's been an AFL football boss. He's been a champion footballer. He would he be seventy one? He'd be in his early seventies. He was famously sacked by Collingwood twice. The first time as footy boss, the first time he went to Geelong, they won the first of their three flags. When he went there and headed up their footy operation, went back to Collingwood, they sacked him again. He came to Richmond where they won the first of their three flags. Um, Richmond, he's still at Richmond. He's not in the footy department anymore. He gets a bit frustrated and grumpy with the AFL, and he always has. Um, speaks his mind about his views on them, but he is now he's now re- referred to as at Richmond as a senior club advisor. He's a football national treasure. His story is extraordinary. Everyone I know who has finished this book has absolutely loved it. Notably, Mike Sheehan, who um, first told me how much he loved it about three or four weeks ago. So, can look, you tell us about the disgraceful performance in the seventies? Well, he he king hit a Carlton footballer, and he, he's spoken about that. He's spoken about what happened um, with Jeff Southby um, many times, how ashamed of the act he is. He obviously addresses all of this in the book. Um, it w- look, it was a different time. There are people from Carlton who will probably never forgive Neil Baum. And the Neil Baum of today, I mean, he's a fascinating character. He almost left Richmond a couple of years ago. Adelaide, who really needed He's a club conscience almost, and they really needed him at the Adelaide Crows. And because his wife's family comes from Adelaide, he thought seriously about it. Then he had a health setback, and so he decided to stay on at Richmond. So very frustrated during the hub year because he didn't go up to Queensland, but he continued to um, rage against the machine here in Melbourne and oversee... Look, you know, obviously there were players in Melbourne training who came up later who ended up playing in the Richmond Premiership, Basher Hawley and Shane Edwards, who's just retired, Basher, last year. Look, it's a, the, from, I've started it. Anson is a very good writer. It's beautifully written. Anson is a Geelong man, so he would have loved Barmy through the Geelong years. And um, I, think, um, I think you would really enjoy it too, mm, Corrie. I think I will too. Now, we've both been watching, we've both started Sherwood. This is Screen on BBC First, on Foxtel. You can also, I think, get it on Binge. Finally, it seems like we've had to wait for a really good new British thriller and boy, oh boy, has it delivered, Corrie. You kick us off. Has it ever. Well, Caro, there are six episodes in this first series and it's only just gone to air on BBC One in the UK, so we're very lucky to have it here. Um, How did I find it? I think I found it on Binge. And it's, as you say, a British crime show. Um, it's set in current times, but there's a lot of uh, the backstory is very relevant because we flip back to the early 80s when 
Margaret Thatcher was Prime Minister and she decided that she was going to crush the unions. And close down the mines. And close down the mines. And the mine around the Nottingham, this is set in Nottinghamshire, so just think um, your Robin Hood kind of area, and that's why it's called Sherwood. And um, Isn't Sherwood Forest beautiful? Oh, stunning. So many pines. And this, town, and this town that's right on the edge of it, the photography actually is really beautiful. You get a very strong sense of this mine, former mining town. But it's all about, it, it, it's, it's a story of grudges and it goes back to the early 80s when the mines were closed and those, um, those union blokes who uh, stood, stood by their union cause and refused to become scab labour and those workers who just needed to get food on the table and went back to work and worked which, for the new... Which was the, this town. And the whole most town of the is men split. In that, most of the men in that town continued to work with one notable exception. It's pretty, it's pretty amazing how, and, and it even broke families apart as we see. Uh, in, in, I'm not, it's really hard to talk about this without giving a spoiler alert, but a real shout out to Alan Armstrong, who plays one of the, the former union activists, Gary Jackson. Alan Armstrong, if you're trying to place his uh, face, if you ever saw New Tricks uh, with Dennis Waterman, um, you know, he was one of those chaps. He's really fabulous. Um, we just think he's a, he's the one who had the drinking problem but sort of came back from came back from the dead and solved all these amazing crimes. He actually plays a terrific role as this uh, much loved within his family, um, tough, hard, still bearing a grudge. Um, How brilliant is Leslie Manville as his wife? Oh, she's isn't one she of my favourite British actors. I she's love her. She's just terrific. But it really is. It really is the story of. Uh, DCS Ian Sinclair, who is the very reserved, quiet, deep thinking, not bad looking, I would have said. Chief of police um, with a backstory. And played by David Morrissey. He is really good. But as you said, or was it Anna Anna from the Op Shop in one of her texts to us, amazing English cast. And, you know, no sort of dames or lords or complete um, who everybody, you know, you know their name and their household names. But everybody who appears, you go, oh, yeah, they were There's on. a lot of Downton They Abbey. were on this, they were on Notably that. Notably Joanne Froggish. Yes, yes. Who um, is one the of maid. the stars. Yeah. And, the, and then um, the father of, anyway, the, the, there's a couple of Downton Abbey cast in there, but you'll spend the whole show going, oh, where's he from, where's she from? Um, and I, I, I moved to the UK in 1984 at the height of the Arthur Scargill battle with Margaret Thatcher. I mean, Arthur Scargill was the face of the miners and she was obviously the face of authority. And um, it was a tumultuous time. And the opening scenes, which go back to 1984, are really interesting, aren't they? Oh, it was just, it's so beautifully edited. But also you're kind of like, I was watching it, Cara, going, oh, you know, thinking Robin Hood, Robin Hood. Why is this place this thing? And it's actually based on real murders that happened years ago. The developers of this television series have apparently been trying to get it up for eons. So I'm glad they waited. There's a lot of bow and arrow action. Mm. There's a lot of Robin Hood analogies. We watched the first two on Sunday night. I am completely... Yeah, it's just it's just really beautifully crafted. So that is, um, that's the book. Uh, that's the screen, Sherwood, on BBC TV or Binge, if you can um, pick it up that way. You've gone back to our friend, Alice Zaslavsky, for your recipe this week. I have. This is, I told you a couple of weeks ago, Caro, uh, that I had received an early copy of her new cookbook, The Joy of Better Cooking. And this, again, has the strong vegetarian influence, of course. And do you remember a couple of weeks ago, I was in charge of cooking the History Club dinner for our Buddhism theme. And yes, I know I did do the chicken curry, but I also had a couple of <laughs> vegetarian dishes as well. And I, this is, this is one. Oh, so we're going through your History Club dinner party, are we? We're going through the banquet. <laughs> <laughs> don't ask what we don't ask what we had for pudding. You'll die. Um, so um, this is the palak and potato curry, and um, palak is uh, is used in butter chicken, and it's just a really really beautiful mix of of all sorts of different um, herbs and spices, and um, and new potatoes essentially. But we're just I'm not going to give you the, the lowdown because it's a really long recipe. But if you have all these ingredients and if you cook with Ottolenghi, you are certain to have all of these ingredients in your pantry. Things like garam masala, ground cumin, uh, ground coriander seeds, um, 
whole dry chilies, um, lots and lots of chilies, red and green chilies throughout this whole thing, um, brown mustard seeds, you know, all those things, sort of things that yep. um, Yotam suggests that you have. It's just a really delicious dish. It's quite spicy and lots of ginger, which I love. It does, um, you do include spinach leaves in this, uh, just for those who might be interested. I tripled the amount of spinach. They said two bunches. I just put in heaps and heaps of spinach because I loved the green look of it. But it's the pelican potato curry. Miss Jane will have it on the show notes. And for a side dish or even for a, a main meal, if you're a vegetarian, um, on with rice, scattered with the spices and the curry leaves that you toast up and lemon wedges and cream or yogurt on the top. It is absolutely to die for. It is yummo. I think the combination of potatoes and ginger and spinach and an old Indian recipe I used to do all the time on Sunday nights with those three as the basic ingredients. And also um, I think the only spices were green chilies and cumin seeds. It was the most delicious recipe. It's just—it's an absolute knockout. And and look, the, the reason I don't want to go through all the ingredients is because there are a lot. But don't be scared by that potties. It's it's like the Yotamotalengi thing of just lay it out, lay it, be organised. Make sure all of these spices are in your pantry where you've gone out and bought them. Lay them out on the counter as I did, and then you just go one, two, three, add, add, add. It's just perfect. You do have to check the use by dates of your spices. I you occasionally do. I check agree it, with then that. I go, oh gee, that was nineteen ninety eight or something. <laughs> 1998. And you think I have a problem with weevils? That was BSF for Red Energy. Moving house, call local energy retailer Red Energy on 131806. Corrie, you're grumpy. I am, and you won't be surprised, Miss Jane or Caro, to hear that I'm grumpy about Melbourne traffic. Ta-da! Oh, come on. She's back. Come on. Oh, look, um, you know, I'm really sick of Swan Street, Richmond, between Hoddle Street and the Yarra. How do you know where to go? Which lane are you in? So if you're going, I if you're going out of Richmond toward the Yarra with, um, with Rod Laver Arena on your right, oh, okay, so I just got through the crossing. But if you're coming back and you want to continue along Swan Street and there's the Hollow Street, like what lane am I in, which traffic light am I looking at, it is the worst design cluster F I have seen in a long, long time. And Two believe words, me, Melbourne's Corrie, full of them. Brunton Avenue. Just avoid it. Just avoid oh, that's it. like Elliot Perlman riding in, th- in $3. <laughs> avoid, avoid Punt, Punt Road. Road. I, Road. I, you can't avoid Punt Road and you can't often avoid. I go to Swan Street quite a lot. My go-to bookshop in Melbourne is um, the Avenue Bookstore in Swan Street. If I visit our friend Joe the Slave, I'm in Swan Street. I go there a lot and it really annoys me. And the second thing that I really can't stand, and again I got stuck in it today, St Kilda Road near the Shrine. Why? Just you just it goes to one lane for a while. You've been you spend too long out of Melbourne. Seriously, if you want to do a right hand turn, if you're coming out of the city and you want to do a right hand turn, well, just take a big deep breath because two cars will go with that arrow and then it changes back to red. Another two cars changes back to red, and the weight between the green arrows. Does anybody else share this frustration? I, I, ho- so. I hope people in Ireland, Jane's cousin who lives in Ireland, is really enjoying this conversation. I did something novel on um, Friday night after the footy. I caught the train home with Brendan. He said, because he a, a, loves getting the train, and I'm always, I'm not mad on it. Is this, you said to me your car had an overnighter at the G? Yeah, the master had a sleepover. Well, I had to do a three-hour outside broadcast on sun, Saturday Starting at midday, and if it's midday, you've really got to get there at 11.30 to prepare. And I was meeting a contact at the coffee shop up near the old Hilton at the Pullman. And I, look, I... You had a couple of drinks after the well, game? Well, I, I probably had three drinks. Yeah, you know, fair but, enough. Oh, responsible. Yeah. Responsible. So, um, there was no... It was very nice to leave the footy on Saturday night and know exactly where the car was. A little bit chilly. Looked a bit <laughs> forlorn, the old Mazda, but... Surrounded by other cars, keeping it company. Do you find sometimes when you leave your car somewhere, and it's a very responsible thing to do if you've had a couple of drinks, but you leave it all alone in the street, which was busy four hours ago, and then you come out and it's all alone. You go, oh, good luck, car. Oh. To see you. Well, hysterically, leaving the next night, I did that click thing with my keys because, you know, you can't not quite sure where the car is to wait for it to light up. And because um, my son accidentally lost my keys, I think I told you, famously leaving them on the roof of the car, 
driving to Sydney over Christmas and he got them replaced by a new key thing, which would have cost him a lot of money. But when I clicked, all these other cars started lighting, lighting up as well. And Brendan said, that must be the dodgy. I thought, it can't be unlocking all these other cars. You know, who knows what was going on? But it was like it lit up like a Christmas so tree. So if, if, you've, if you've arrived back from the football and you've found that your laptop has gone from your unlock card. That was me. Was Car thief. Six quick questions, Caro, for Red Energy. What quote might come back to haunt the independent federal member for Kooyong, Dr Monique Ryan? On Four Corners a couple of weeks ago, there was a special on the Independence, Caro, and Monique Ryan being interviewed by the uh, reporter was a great story. She referred to the Badlands. Do you know where the Badlands are? She was referring to Baldwin, North Baldwin, and parts of Canterbury (laughs) in her electorate because they didn't do the complete swing. They were difficult. They were tough nuts to crack when she was campaigning. So she's called them the Badlands. So, look, anybody in Monomath Avenue, if you'd like to contact Monique Ryan, I'm just telling you that's what she said about you. Can you believe? That is so funny. What's that gorgeous little street that was a famous little tourist attraction in Canterbury? Mail, oh, mailing Road. Mailing Road. <laughs> it's the Badlands Mailing Road. The Badlands. I never, would never have thought of Baldwin, North Baldwin being Badlands. Um, Carol, where does Serena Williams fit in the annals of world sport? Clearly one of the greatest ever. Kelly Underwood would say the greatest female sportsman ever. Yes, I'd agree with that. (coughs) Sorry, Jane. (coughs) I think she's definitely revolutionised women's sport, not just women's tennis. She's, she, revol- she's revolutionised the tennis frock. How about the black one with the sparkles? Probably, as, as a few people said, probably lucky she didn't go out at Wimbledon in white because she really needed to wear her signature outfits at uh, Flushing Meadow. Look, um, uh, Margaret Court is upset because she's not getting the respect from Serena Williams she deserves. Margaret Court has been um, extolled in a couple of um, newspaper columns for being, um, you know, why is Serena sort of now claiming she's won more Grand Slams than Margaret? I don't recall her actually claiming that, but certainly that was her ambition. She didn't quite get there. I think Margaret's 24, Serena's 23. Um, Margaret Court, in her own way, revolutionised tennis, probably not as much as Billie Jean King or Martina Navratilova. But unfortunately, some of Margaret Court's um, views under the umbrella of Christianity. In recent years. And, which is... And gay marriage. Which is not... one. I, I, hiding behind religion to be bigoted is not something that I'm impressed by. But I, I think Serena, and she's had some bad moments, and... Um, but she's been a great advocate but, for the game, hasn't but she? But most of her moments have been unbelievable. Mm. I mean, she is an absolute champion, and I think she's the best tennis player we've seen, certainly the best woman tennis player we've ever seen. And... Um, what she's achieved has just been remarkable. So um, out she goes and what a ride she has given us. Corrie, what's your latest? Oh, you've obviously been up at Ballarat again. What's your latest feeding fussy toddlers trick? Okay, so there was a little bit of angst on the weekend. Um, I don't want to eat dinner. So I just a bit jack of that. So I stuck it all in the whizzer and with a little bit of yogurt, low-fat yogurt, and presented it to the children, firstly as a, I didn't say the word vegetable, as a um, not not fruit smoothie. And then afterwards we had a fruit smoothie. So earlier in the day I'd Why said... Why didn't you just say have a smoothie? You called oh, no, it a not well, fruit smoothie. Well, yeah, I know, but uh, look, Harriet is five and very smart and was just like, this isn't the usual smoothie we have. I said, no, this is a non-fruit smoothie. What's in it? Lots of yummy things. But I just mashed everything up, threw it in the whizzer and um, went down a treat. And then with the fruit smoothie, there were um, a few almost mouldy berries in the fridge. I don't know how the children can afford to buy berries, but they do. And um, a couple of oranges because Max was getting another cold and uh, the kiwi fruit and a couple of other things in the blender carrot with a couple of teaspoons of yogurt or a bit more. And they all ate them. They all had them and then we had seconds. I had to do another lot. So the children in the space of an hour had pumpkin, broccoli, uh, and um, what was the third thing? Oh, leeks and um, yeah, I think that was it. And the Ooh. yogurt. <laughs> Yuck. And are you kidding? It was fantastic. <laughs> it was just great. And then in the in for the second part, they had all of those fruits I mentioned earlier. It is the best trick. 
and use the word smoothie and you've got them hook, line and sinker. Well, I'm impre- I have to say I'm very impressed. If you made them enjoy a smoothie with pumpkin, leek and what was and the other? And broccoli. And potato, potato oh, yeah. in it. Yeah, bro- broccoli and potato. So sort of like soup. Yeah, exactly. Ex- Vegetable it's like, soup. That's what I'm got. looking at you thinking, oh, I forgot the potato, but it's like a <laughs> potato and leek soup. It was just beautiful. Um, okay, so, Caro, oh, speaking of Serena, what was your – you wait. You wait till Sunday comes home and you're pulling your hair out after 24 hours with the children. Touche. Uh, speaking of Serena, what was your King Richard moment on the weekend? Good film, King Richard. I actually watched it on the plane not long ago. It's actually pretty good. Did Will Smith deserve his Oscar? He's pretty good. Is he? But we interviewed Peter Dacos on Saturday at this um, aforementioned outside broadcast on 3AW. Peter, you know, I mean, the champion of our youth, Corrie of the 80s, just an absolutely, well, we were in our 20s, I suppose. An absolute champion, Peter Dacos, whose two sons are now playing for Collingwood. One made the All-Australian squad. The other one won the Rising Star. Um, Listening to him talk about his boys and unashamed soccer dad or whatever you call it. I mean, he just, I said, you know, they, I think one of the, um, Tim Lane or uh, maybe Jimmy Bartell asked, did you do a lot of work with the boys going up? He said, hours, hours and hours and hours <laughs> at the park, in the back garden, the hand-eye co- coordination, the kicking. Wow. He unashamedly has moulded these two boys, not in his own image, but gee, there was oh, a lot Oh, they have flair, don't there's they? There's a lot of... Peter Dacos and and Nick Dacos. He was extraordinary the other night. And anyway, he was just really interesting. Had a slight veiled dig at Nathan Buckley and where he first played Josh when he was, um, you know, why Josh has taken up until now to really um, fire. I mean, probably a lot of other reasons too for him to shine now, just given that, you know, he's a few years in. But Nick has come in and become one of of their top five players, really, or certainly top ten players in his first year. Just slightly off topic, I did think of uh, Nathan Buckley and... Eddie Maguire the other night with the Collingwood. I wondered, first of all, why, well, Nathan was covering it, but I wondered, first of all, how they were feeling. Were, were they watching it? Were they engaged as Collingwood supporters? Do they feel disconnected slightly from the club? Does that affect their genuine passion for the club? I don't know. Interest, they just came to my thoughts, that's all. Yeah, look, I'm sure there'd be, you know, cynical Tesco flying around saying, um, gee, we, <laughs> we must have been doing something wrong. No, look, I think... Um, Nathan Buckley has said that he feels this has been in the wings for a while. It's been building. Make what you will of that. He's now a successful media commentator. Eddie, you know, is is good friends with Jeff Brown. And Eddie was there for a premiership. He stayed a few years too long. Jeff Brown is determined to keep the club united. And I'm sure Eddie's overseas at the moment. But when he comes back, there will be, you know, he'll be, if if they do make the grand final, Ed will be here and he'll be very much welcomed into the fold. Now, Corrie, the Venice Film Festival was held last week. Gee, that new Kate Blanchett film looks unbelievable. Mm. It's had rave reviews. Well known for its highly classy red carpet fashions. Give us your three, two, one. Well, I will give them to you and Caro. Sorry, Potties, I can't show you, but I'm actually going to show Caro so she can see the ones that I'm talking about. Um, my number, my, there was a lot of black, Caro, but one of the things about the Venice Film Festival, which is the longest running film festival in the world. I think it actually first came into being in the 1930s. It's well known for having several red carpet moments, not just one. So, in fact, my uh, my one and two votes go to the same person. What? <laughs> Tessa Thompson. Will oh, you because she this? had two brilliant outfits. So I'm holding up to Caro this oh, amazing, beautiful green dress. Jane. Satin, uh, green the colour of... A Granny Smith apple. It has a very simple, just like a t-shirt style top, uh, slightly round neck, the straps, and comes down to a skirt that folds into the most beautiful layers. And she looks absolutely beautiful. My second one, Caro, is also Tessa Thompson, this time wearing this absolutely amazing red knockout cape swirling around her. Um, beautiful dress. Isn't that stunning? It is the most stunning outfit I have ever seen. I don't even know who, I can't see on my thing here who the designers are. But my three votes go to Irina Shayak, who wore a black silk slip dress with a very grand circular train, maybe about a metre. And I will give her that train, even though I'm not a big train fan, because her dress was so utterly simple. Carol, it was just a black silk slip.
and it just fell to the ground. She looked absolutely stunning in it. And note to, uh, there's a picture of her. Oh, and, that's gorgeous. And note, note the to, green gets my vote. Was that your was that your three? Uh, no, my 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 one was actually the black because I the one was the green, two was the red, and three was the black. Oh, so one. the black gets yeah, the, the black the, gets my yeah. vote because I thought it was so utterly classy. And just to anybody who is going to the Brownlow Medal and thinking about their outfits, just remember that if it's a it's a summer of bold colour. And good on you, go for it. But remember, if you have bold colour, you don't have to have an awful lot happening at the same time. So you don't have to do the big ruffle neck with the split up the side, with the split down the bottom, with the Dunmonty shoes, with the whatever, whatever. Just keep it really simple, okay? That's my tip. And if you do do black, just remember too much black is heavy. So remember to stick your hair up in a bun, have a really lovely perhaps piece of neck thing happening or some dra- or some. Um, hanging earrings, um, just keep that simple as well. Anyway, I'm not off to the Brownlow, you are, so we're going to hear about your um, outfit in a couple of weeks. But now we finish with your amazing fact, Caro. Well, I think this is a very interesting fact. Um, And we've spoken about in the past about one of my favourite Australian writers, Olga Masters, who wrote uh, Amy's Children. That was one of my favourite books of hers, a lot of short stories. But I worked on Sunday on The Offsiders on the ABC with her son, Roy Masters, who, as you know, is a good friend of mine and someone I greatly admire. And he is off on a bit of a trip. He's a, you know, a rugby coach, a celebrated rugby. Married to the wonderful Elaine Canty Elaine of Canty, fame. Became a columnist and writer for the Sydney Morning Herald. We've worked together at Olympics and on several stories, and now we work on The Offsiders and tend to disagree on everything. But I find his company very enjoyable. So he's off to America. And, you know, I know that Quentin Masters, the filmmaker, is his brother. And Sue Masters, the famous... And Chris Masters. Well, Chris, well, I'm going through oh, the sorry, family. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Go- Chris Masters, the Walkley Award-winning journalist. Sue Masters, the Walkley Award-winning producer who's now at SBS, but, you know, was famous for series such as Brides of Christ. I mean, the, the amount of, you know, I, I think he also commissioned Sea Change. So much wonderful work at the ABC. Then there's Deb Masters, another famous media producer. Um, the late Michael Masters, of course. But I didn't know about Ian Masters. Do you know Ian Masters, who is a documentary maker? I was going to say, you're not going to be telling me he's running a shoe factory. You're about to tell me he's in the media again, aren't you? Well, he lives in Los Angeles, and Roy said he and Elaine would be catching up with Ian. And um, he said, look, he's married to an actress. He's um, He's got a, a radio show at the moment. It's on KPFK TV. Um, he's a, broad, a broadcaster, a very successful broadcaster in LA. But he's married to the British-American actress Christina Pickles. Christine Pickles. Now, do you remember Monica's mother in Friends? Yes. Yeah, well, that's Christine Pickles. She was also in Legends of the Fall, which I remember oh, her in. Oh, really? She was With in... um, Anthony um, Brad Pitt and Anthony... Oh, God, my Anthony brain. Hopkins. Oh, Hopkins. Yes, Hopkins. I was just, just I was trying <laughs> just to do Silence of the head. Lambs. It's like, it's like our friend Rick when he went into the bookshop saying, I must read this book. I've been told about it, but I can't remember the title. It's got something to do like Sleeping Sheep. And the clever bookseller said, oh, you meant Silence of the Lambs. Sorry. Look, look. anyway, um, she was a regular on St. Elsewhere, but I obviously remember her most as Monica's mother. But um, I just thought Olga Masters, knee Lawler. Who's the dad? Charles. Um, but what a remarkable seven children and all of them so extraordinarily artistically talented. Okay, so here's the thing, Potties, and this is proven, okay, if you read to your children when they are young, and if you encourage them to have actual books in the house, not even books on iPads, actual books, and you encourage learning throughout their school life and you meet together around the table, whether it's afternoon tea or dinner, and you discuss the books, this is the result, Caro. Now, I want to know what Charles did. Talking about... Um, Charles must have good DNA as well. Oh, look, it, it, and, and Roy speaks with great affection. I think they, they came from Pambula. He speaks with great affection about his mother and he's just a, a wonderful person to work, work with, Roy Masters. And he never really talks about his family, but he just mentioned wow. he was going over to see Ian. Who I looked up Ian's CV and what he's made and what he's produced and what he's written. Just extraordinary. Before we go, we probably, let's just send out, I hate the word shout out, a cheerio to Tracy Grimshaw, who's stepping down from current yes. affair after 17 years. What a wonderful career she's had. I don't, don't think it's over. 
but in a regular sense, it's over. Here's a very good interviewer, Tracy Grimshaw. She is indeed. I remember when Great she first presenter. started on National Nine News um, back in the whenever it was eighties. But had enough it, of shift work. She's had enough of it, and I and and she did stress that she wasn't pushed or asked to leave. She's done it of her own accord, and I think if you can choose your leaving of the party, Caro, always a good thing. So that was Don't Shoot the Messenger for another week. Thank you to our podcast supporters, Red Energy, 100% Australian electricity and gas, and, of course, Prince Wine Store. Put in your diaries October the 26th. Come down to Prince Wine Store in South Melbourne and come and visit Corrie and I and Miles and drink some wine and Miss Jane and get some good discounts. That's a Wednesday night, by the way, Wednesday from 5 p.m., Corrie, um, you can also connect with us, as you know, via Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. And if you want to get our show notes delivered to your inbox every week, hit the sign-up button on Facebook or in our show notes or send us an email and we'll subscribe you. The email, feedback at dontshootpod.com.au. And Corrie? Don't shoot the messenger. This podcast is proudly supported by Red Energy, awarded CanStar's Most Trusted Energy Providers nationally 2021 and 22. That's Red Energy. And Prince Wine Store, bringing wine enthusiasts the greatest wine in the world. Visit princewinestore.com.au.